0: This is the Mutual Audio Network. Shut up and listen. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance.
1: It is the year 2015, and life has lost all meaning. What once was up is down. What once was right is wrong. And those who dare to make a podcast which subversively reanimates the dead art of radio theater are considered dangerous criminal outcasts. Driven into exile, four pungent brigands risk their lives to broadcast from a South Seas barge crudely fashioned from the disintegrating corpse of an ancient titan and several thousand yards of cooking twine to bring you the triumph, the majesty, sublimity of mood alchemy.
2: Hello and welcome to Rude Alchemy, Chatter, and Lore. I'm Andy. I'm Andrew. I'm Tom. (laughs) And I'm Ryan. Wow, Ryan sounds great today. And we are the creators of Rude Alchemy. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Uh, Let's remember, Chatter and Lore is that special place where we talk about Rude Alchemy, who we are, why we're doing it, and also to tell some stories some stories that will expand the ridiculous universe we're creating. If this is the first episode of Rude Alchemy you're listening to, thank you. Welcome. We're glad to have you. But since this is an opportunity to enhance and expand the world of the series, you might have a better time if you first listen to episodes from our current season. It's called Brough Tax Wind Sky Sailor, and the first two episodes are available right now on this feed. Yeah, in this baby. episode of cha- yeah, in this episode of Chatter and Lore, we have a very special bruff story from me, Andy, as well as a new segment we like to call Weird History. But first, Andrew has a big announcement.
3: It's real big, y'all. Oh, uh, as you know, that's
2: very inappropriate. That was a
0: very inappropriate <laughs> joke, Andrew.
3: This announcement is is the is the one. Um, as you all know, we have a logo. It's reddish sepia tinted words on a brownish background. Now, don't get me wrong, we love our logo, right, everyone?
1: Oh, hey, if yes. it's if it's not yes. broke, if, if it ain't broke, yes. don't fix it, right? <laughs> it.
3: That's great, great stock response from everyone. Um, <laughs> and it is this beloved logo that dominates your smartphone screen while you listen hungrily to our humble podcast. Mm. This isn't going to change anytime soon, however, we think our stories are so rich in imagery, so visually and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it sexually stimulating that it might be nice to have some podcast cover art that matches. So we are now officially announcing the first ever Root Alchemy Podcast fan art contest. It's also the longest contest. You name. forgot the
0: cover. <laughs> you forgot cover.
3: Oh yes, we'll see. Rude Alchemy Podcast fan cover art contest.
0: Perfect.
3: Okay. Um, all you have to do, <laughs> all you have to do, is make a piece of Bruff themed fan art, a minimum of fourteen hundred by fourteen hundred pixels. Post that beautiful masterpiece on our Twitter or Facebook with the hashtag bruffart. Art. That's Bruff with two Fs and then Art. Or if you want to think of it as Bruff with one F and the word Fart. <laughs> You can think about it that way, too. <laughs> um, so put up, the, put, up, put up the bruff art, hashtag it, you will be in the running. Make sure you submit your entry before May 29th, because the winning image will be featured as the official cover art for the season finale of Bruff Tax Win Sky Sailor. Um, we will also mention your name which is i know everyone wants <laughs> to have happen. Um, and we will talk about how great you are and try really hard to keep tom from touching you for more i d-, d d, d-, 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 d- <laughs> <laughs> i've uh, turned into porky pig for a second for more details about how uh, all the things that i just said in written word form visit rudealchemy.com/bruffart and bruff with 2 f's we, and art we have a website we have a website wow well, do fantastic! have that we,
0: yeah we if you want to call it that <laughs>
1: oh come on <laughs> that's great is, though, com. Like,
3: check it out yeah I, I I I I see all the I see all the artistic people that that follow us on Twitter and and the the, the, the Facebook likes like people that are actually skilled artists so there's no reason to not do this because you're gonna win basically is what I'm saying <laughs> Pretty much.
2: As is custom here on Chatter and Lore, we always talk about our current season. Each gentleman has prepared one question for the group to discuss. Let's begin with Tom.
0: <laughs> <laughs> great! Great! <laughs> this is uh, this is exciting. My question is for Andy. Oh, great, Andy. Yeah. As I un- as I understand it, the original idea for season two, the 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 seed, if you will, was yes. yours. Wrong. And Next question. Okay. <laughs> really? Well, I, I I thought it was yours. Was it
2: Kane's? It was Kane.
3: It was it was. My me. question Sorry. is for
2: Kane. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Kane. Sounds like a two-part question.
0: Where did the original imagery or idea of these, you know, uh, bl- world that we're creating, where? Uh, uh floating dirigibles are the growing if not main source of transportation where did that idea um originate from was there a moment where you thought like oh this would be an interesting world to set a story in
3: yes i was i read somewhere or heard something about the when the um The empire state building was being built something about how the 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 tower on the empire state building they originally were wanted to be able to dock blimps on it that was like one of the hopes when they were constructing this thing and i thought that that was uh, like a lot of sort of jumping off for the kind of speculative fiction that we engage in it's like what if what if blimps and airships really were, did become the future, which is what I think everyone kind of, well, not everyone, but that that was the thought was everyone's going to eventually just have a little airship that they're going to fly around in and it'll be blimps and zeppelins that'll carry us around the world and we'll leave the horse and buggy and the horseless carriage behind and we'll take to the sky. And it was sort of just like, what, what happened? What would happen if that came true?
0: Fascinating. Just fascinating.
3: Who Uh, has a question?
2: Next question. Why don't you go? (laughs) Because you were asked.
3: Okay, so my question is for Ryan. Uh-huh. Um, season two season two has seen the introduction of an unseen host character, if you will. We sort of have these two host characters, the announcer and the narrator. Um, uh, but we have added Courtney, the assistant for the narrator, who, and Courtney has proved to add all kinds of delight and woe. Um, uh-huh. Do you have any kind of like... I don't want to say visual because I don't want to get into like trying to describe Courtney, but like, do you, can you sort of ponder on the relationship between the narrator and Courtney or just any kind of general thoughts that you have about Courtney?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do we, do we want to discuss sex of the of the of Courtney or no do we stay away well from I
3: kind I kind of like I mean I like that we I like that we there's no there's no decision made as to whether Courtney is a man or a woman yeah but yeah I mean do you I guess I guess I'm just wondering like do you think that I don't know it's the first season there was no kind of the drama the sort of conflict between the network that the narrator had was either directly related to the story but now he actually has like a person that is reacting to him as he's telling the story that, so he can react both to what's happening inside the story and he can also react to what's happening outside of the story.
1: Yeah. I think, I Um, mean, yeah, I mean, you know, that's really kind of opened up the narrator (laughs) so you could see a little bit more of his neuroses and, uh, and um, you know, of certain issues that he has. So, I mean, it's been, it's, you know, made the role was, you know, a lot of fun to play before, but now it's even, uh, it's even more, uh, um, exciting to, uh, read the script each time they come through, you know, what's Courtney going to do this time, you know, but as far as a visual, <laughs> I thought, I thought it was kind of hit Uh, who was it? It was, I think it was you, Andrew, who wrote the, uh, you know, kind of the whiz kid thing, you know, where he comes in and, I, you know, I think <laughs> the narrator's kind of an old, an, an old school player. You know, he got in from, hard work and you know just putting in his time you know it's all time on the clock type stuff and then uh, this whiz kid comes in because you know he just aced his his uh whatever his tests got he had a great gpa impressed everyone and, and got in there and <laughs> and can do it <laughs> and uh you know I think it's a genderless maybe to, he,
2: genderless he, though.
1: Just, a genderless, genderless he. he yeah. offense. <laughs> <understand>. <laughs> the only reason <laughs> I say he is because I just like the idea of a man being named Courtney. But again, it's all up in the air, you know. Because <laughs> <laughs> if it's a woman too, I mean, you never know. I mean, that that adds a whole other aspect too. It's like, you know, right. the narrator again. He's old school. He doesn't want a a woman showing him up. <laughs> 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 not, not because he thinks they're inferior, just because they've broken his heart so many times over the years, <laughs> it made him feel ashamed. Uh. So,
3: <laughs> all right, Ryan, um, do you, ask, you have a ask a question?
1: Yeah. Oh man, I have just a very basic question. Very basic. Um, I had I had uh, texted Andy and Andrew this week asking oh, what what, must have, d- uh, what must decade have... no i didn't text Tom i didn't text Tom
0: I'm just checking <laughs> my phone here real quick <laughs> i'm just scrolling through my yeah no i didn't get anything that's weird that's weird
1: well i, I asked what decade do you think this is taking part in and uh this the bruff and andrew said probably 1920s and then andy said uh early 1900s definitely pre world war 1 so I mean, it's clo- uh. it's close, but uh, it was interesting. The two the two powerhouses to Rude Alchemy, Andy and Andrew, were a little uh, are button heads a little bit here, little you know, as far as, so as specific. Though, yeah. So I was just yeah. curious, you know. Uh, well, Tom, what what right. do you think? And because uh, y- do you know what threw me off uh, this last episode? There was some background noise of like horns of car horns going off, which really, you know.
3: They're in the uh, first episode too.
1: Are they in the first episode? That th- I, that that yeah, was yeah. that was what led me to believe it might be a little later, you know. But, but I'd yeah. be curious. I don't
2: know. I don't know. Could 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 go either way. I guess I was thinking it was pre World War One. I, I guess, but it's all vague, what, you for, know. For- like if if we can have uh, airship like a Pepe Zeppy, who's to say that. Automobiles weren't a little further along too, or something. I don't know.
3: That's true. Whatever, yeah. doesn't matter. When
2: did doesn't when matter.
1: did the Hinden when did the Hindenburg uh,
3: blow? The was Hindenburg the, was nineteen thirty six. Was that thirty six? Was the sort of that was the end of the the, that was yeah, the end of the of yeah, Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and I think that's why I, I thought the twenties because it's again it, it's it's if we're creating if we're creating a kind of alternate timeline then it's not necessarily it doesn't have to follow exactly. You know, World War One, sure. or and, you know, the major events of of the world, um, and, uh, and no, I, yeah, I, I see mean, what like you mean. Yeah. it was it was happening like they were they were sort of coming into their own in the late eighteen hundreds, and so I guess I was I just sort of bumped that forward in my mind, like well, how you know, give it a couple decades to become, yeah, you know, the the future, the future, basically. <clears throat> but what does Tom think? Uh,
2: yeah, I know I'm what
0: I'm, I'm sorry. What was the question? Uh, <laughs> well, I remember I had that specific conversation uh, with our showrunner Andy uh, about what what time at what year it took place, and uh, we didn't want to set it in an exact year, but it definitely is pre World War One, um, because I, I guess I guess this current this episode of Chatter and Lore will be airing on Sunday before episode three, but there's a joke in episode three. About well, I don't want to give anything away, but it's pre World War
3: One. Right? right, it was about World War One. Yeah. Oh, I see. It was you pre mean, yeah, World yeah. War I kind of joke, right? Yeah. Right. So yeah, and again, I think matter. I think we're all in agreement. It's it doesn't yeah. it doesn't really bias anything to set it in sure. a, in a credibly specific year because again, it's we're, we're the whole concept is that it's a it's an alternate timeline. So mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah, I think we
2: can steal anything within like a
3: twenty year range either way, almost. <laughs> right. Right. So. Yeah. And we're using slang from the thirties sometimes, you know, like it doesn't I you don't know. <laughs> right. Okay. Exactly. As long as
2: <laughs> I'm sa- I'm <laughs> it's satisfied. All right. <laughs> All right, cool. Um Tom, what is it like to write um an episode more specifically, what is it like to write um a big old monologue for yourself? Which is something that you did.
3: <laughs> yeah, Tom's first episode is episode three.
0: Yeah, congratulations, um, Tom. Thank you, thank you. It's, it's already uh, a wild success. Um, that hasn't happened yet. But people, are, people are already buzzing about it. Um, yeah, no, I think I think uh, in all seriousness, writing uh, was uh, definitely a daunting task. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was definitely a lot of fun to explore um, this kind of world that we're creating for this season and you know the overall feeling that root Alchemy has taken on uh, over the last couple of months um, you know it's been it's been a really enjoyable explore, exploring it with the uh, performance side um, but being able to explore it from a writer's side was definitely a lot of fun very, very challenging because uh Andy and Andrew have set an incredibly high bar, um, the last thing I want to do is give you guys any kind of credit. Don't get me wrong. But uh, <laughs> you guys have, have done an amazing job uh, with the first season and the first two episodes of Brough. So it was definitely, um, it was definitely a lot of pressure. Uh, it, w- it was a big burden. Um, but it was a lot of fun, and I, I look forward to writing some more. As far as writing a monologue for myself, uh, I just kind of figured, well, somebody had to do it um
3: I was, I was, you had a couple monologues in carver but yeah, you know.
0: not not enough not enough not not <laughs> I mean, you had like one per episode yeah but none this was a good page this is a solid page right right just be right. talking and uh yeah no it was uh it was needed it was needed i think i think our fans will agree they it's it's what everybody's been waiting for
1: yeah tom when you were writing um did you kind of have that realization that, wow, I really need to brush up on my grammar <laughs> uh, you know just because that 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 was the feeling I got when I read your script, you know that <laughs> thanks,
0: thanks for that No, the biggest challenge The biggest challenge with writing for me was like, oh well, I should probably put somebody else other than the narrator i think i think you I think the narrator has the most lines out of any episode so far in my episode
3: yes i think that's yes, right. <laughs> <Definitely> <laughs> right
2: although uh, that's not to say that exposition haven't been to mother some 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 chunks for the narrator before like he's had some pages to slog through as well from from me i know and whatnot yeah. so it's
0: Back just he's Harvard just days. so he's just so much fun to write the narrator
2: i think we can all agree
3: <laughs> yes yeah, the narrator Yes, the
2: nar- the narrator not The narrator, not, yeah. Not yeah. Ryan, but yeah. Yeah, the narr- no, 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 not, not Ryan. Oh my god, not Ryan. No. <laughs> no,
1: nah, uh- fantastic. You guys are great.
2: Okay, everybody. It's time for a new segment called Weird History. Um, which I just was thinking earlier, I hope is not like a some copyrighted thing somewhere. That people do. Um, Anyway, we're going to do it now. So here's how it works. I'm going to present... I'll be the host for this. And I'm going to present one weird historical fact along with one weird historical lie. And it will be up to my colleagues here to tell me which is the fact and which is the lie that I made up. Um, So you're all playing against each other. This is not a team game. Uh, Each right answer gets a point. Each wrong answer loses a point. Whoever has the most points at the end wins. So you can play along at home and see if you're smarter than Andrew and Tom. Uh, you already know you're smarter than Ryan. Okay, here we go. That's, I, I actually I, – I originally when I, when I wrote that, I was going to aim it at Tom. But I'm like, you know, we really cracked down on Tom a lot. And then I, I just realized I, I just insulted Ryan earlier. I'm in full support. Uh, Ra- yeah, Ryan is so.
3: Ryan is the historian of the group. So yeah, I, know. And I think so. we're all going to lose.
2: All right. So I – I'm very nervous to do this because i think that my fake facts are going to be obvious but we're gonna we're gonna find out okay so we'll keep score <laughs> um all right how many, how, how many
1: facts do we have like how many how many you're you we're to gonna go, do like...
2: five five um match-ups. so 10 okay. facts five real five fake here's the 1st matchup. Before the mid-19th century, dentures were commonly commonly made with teeth pulled from the mouths of dead soldiers, or Jack the Ripper's first victim was actually not a prostitute. Uh, let's start with Tom. which one is true? Um, the true one is um, uh, Jack the Ripper. Okay, and Andrew.
3: Uh, also, yeah, Jack the Ripper.
2: <clears throat> so you're saying that one's true, and Ryan.
1: Yep. Oh man. Oh, I'm gonna yeah because teeth were wooden, weren't they? Wooden George Washington, they were wooden. They wouldn't have. It sounds uh, like
3: you're you're start, you're trying to talk the answer away. Why don't you just give the answer? All right, yeah, sorry, Ryan, let's, sorry, let's Andrew. Jeez. <laughs>
1: Uh, I'll I guess Jack the Ripper, yeah. Well, Whalen has to Wayland
2: has to uh, pad for time
0: while he googles
2: it. Oh yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say no googling, you <laughs> bastards. Uh, okay, you're all wrong, and you all have negative one.
3: <laughs> uh, all right, all the right.
2: First victim was a big old hooker, and <laughs> oh. uh, apparently this is a thing that that used to happen. I mean, commonly made from. I guess that doesn't mean always made from. But yeah, so I sure was the, thinking the wood thing
3: too, Ryan. By the way. Yeah, yeah
2: uh so everybody's at negative one okay next one a little bit more modern ronald reagan was a lifeguard during high school and saved many people's lives or late in his life winston churchill denounced tobacco and its effects uh let's just keep the same order can you can you uh, i'm sorry i didn't catch that winston churchill one what was the end of that Late in his life, Winston Churchill denounced tobacco and its effects. Oh, that's, uh, um, um,
0: yeah, no, uh, Winston Churchill did not denounce tobacco. Ronald Reagan was, in fact, a
2: lifeguard. Okay. But did he save
1: save lots of lives?
2: (laughs) All right, we're moving on. That was Tom. Uh, Andrew. Yeah, I
3: think Ronnie. my vote is for Ronnie, too. Yeah.
1: Ronnie, Ronald Ronnie Reagan is the true. true. Okay? Ryan? Oh man. No, I, I <laughs> hate being last. I always <laughs> feel, I feel pressured to go with with Andrew. Right, and I'll Tom.
2: let you go for, I'll let you go first next time.
1: All right. Um I'm going to go with uh...
2: Yeah, I guess Ronnie.
3: <laughs> all right,
2: you're all back up to 0. Nice work.
3: Yay. All right.
2: <laughs> Ryan, you're going to go first this time. Here we go. <clears throat> Hitler's favorite dog held a rank in the German army or the constitution of the Confederate States of America banned the slave trade banned the what slave trade
1: <laughs> um i'm going to go with the uh, oh god um uh <laughs> hitler's dog <laughs> He's crazy enough. Hitler's dog. <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay. Uh, let's go. Tom, we'll, Tom, go. And then we'll make Andrew go last. What were the choices again? <laughs> Hitler's favorite dog held a rank in the German army or the Constitution of the Confederate States of America banned the slave
3: trade.
0: Yes. No, Hitler's dog did actually serve a rank in the uh, military.
3: All right. So that's for Tom. Um. Okay. I I, I, don't, I maybe I'm thinking this might just be a thing about semantics, but I'm going to say the Confederate States uh, the, the Confederate States uh, banning s- the slave trade. So you to say that's that one's true. Okay, I'm just thinking it's a semantic trick. I think it's All like right. a trick question. You're, you
2: guys are locked in. All right, uh, Andrew is correct. Oh. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's a semantic trick per se, but uh, both the the United States Constitution and the Confederate Constitution. Banned the slave trade, as in the importation of of slaves. slaves. The United, states, Constitu- right. the United
0: uh, states Constitution did that. They they banned it twenty years after the ratification of the Constitution. So by the time the Confederate States correct. came around, it was already banned.
2: Yeah.
3: No, but in the Constitution but that the in, Confederate in States their, adopted the Confederate for themselves, The states
2: of America, in their Constitution, it was banned.
3: That's what I thought. It was I'll that throw it flag was flag like on they this couldn't one. bring new people in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm throwing so a flag the on this one.
2: Okay. Flag flag is noted and ignored. Uh, (laughs) So Andrew has one, and Tom and Ryan have negative one. So we got some work to do, fellas. All right. Here we go. A lot of World War II stuff, I just realized. All right. Here we go. Um, All British tanks since 1945 have been equipped with tea making facilities. (laughs) <laughs> or, or, none of the Twelve Apostles died a natural death. Who, who's going? Uh, ta. Uh, wait, who's... Andrew, you've never gone first,
3: right? Um, go. <clears throat> I'm going to go with uh, none of the Twelve Apostles. No, I'm going to go with uh, tea. T. tanks. <clears throat> You're saying that's true? Yep. Okay. Um,
2: Ryan, go second. Tanks, Tommy?
0: Well, I guess it comes down to what we're using as our basis for believing that the uh, all the uh, 12 apostles died. We, we, Christian tradition does teach that all 12 apostles were martyred. <laughs> However, there is some speculation uh, that John survived his poisoning and was banished to an island where he eventually wrote revelations and then died of natural causes. But if we're going with the traditional Christian teaching that all of the apostles were martyred, then I would have to say um, the, 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 the tea thing. Wait, what was the choices? <laughs>
2: <laughs> all British tanks since 1945 have been equipped with tea-making facilities. Or? None of the 12 apostles died a natural death.
0: Yeah, none of, the, none of them did. None of them died a natural death. They were all martyred.
2: Okay. So you're going with that as the true... Okay, got it. Okay. Um, Andrew, or uh, Tom, get your flag out. So, uh, all British tanks, that is true, that they have tea-making facilities, and we were referencing John... Uh, the Apostle, there. Well, Christian teaches. But, but you, Christian s- you seem to know, know more about it mother. than I do. You seem you seem to know more about it than I do. <laughs> so what's the score? What's the, the score? score there? is
0: bullshit. That's what it is. The Tom, score is Tom <laughs> negative
2: two. Tom you negative both. two. <laughs> Andrew two and Ryan zero. <laughs> this is bullshit.
3: <laughs> they were all <laughs> murdered.
0: All twelve apostles were murdered. None of them died of natural causes. The whole John thing, you're—that's not true. It's why Andy, Let's disputed. move on to the
1: next question. <laughs> What's the next Caesar, question? Julius Caesar.
0: This is bullshit. Julius I'm playing the rest of the game under <laughs> <of the> protest.
2: <laughs> Julius Caesar wore a laurel wreath to cover the onset of baldness. Or the national flag of Italy was designed by Thomas Jefferson.
1: (laughs) Oh, come on. These are. (laughs) Uh,
2: Who has never. Everybody's gone first at some point. So let's go. Let's make Ryan go first again. Because he doesn't like to go. The
1: Italian flag. I just. I can't imagine Thomas Jefferson liking Italy. He just doesn't doesn't cross <laughs> me. He despised Catholics and they were <laughs> um, Oh the first one was Laurel Wreath. Oh man that just doesn't yeah. seem like the Laurel Wreath oh that's the wreath to cover
2: oh. the onset of baldness.
1: Uh but he he was vain I uh I'm just gonna go with Laurel Wreath. I'm gonna go with Julius Caesar.
2: Okay. Cry baby <laughs> i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with option c
0: andy's a cheating whore
2: okay that's <coughs> negative 10 <laughs> yeah yeah negative 10 break it off i don't give a shit
3: all right okay and andrew <laughs> um i i feel like there i've seen other roman busts that had laurel lee so i'm just gonna say thomas jefferson
2: all right and we are at a tie because andrew lost a point there uh, oh. Ryan Ryan gained a point and uh Tom is out of the running with negative 12. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was negative 10. You can't keep shit straight. You, you can't you keep You already had negative straight. 2. You already had negative 2. It's simple addition. Negative 2 minus 10 plus plus an asshole cheating host. <laughs> I you know you're right. I did go out of my way to make sure that there, there were particularly you know tom stumping semantic issues with each of these
0: i'm just saying that Uh, you're not a real christian you're not a catholic and a pope no longer (laughs)
2: likes
3: you attacking i hope that we play weird history every time we do do this
2: (laughs) all right uh and i did not do a tiebreaker so let's make this the tiebreaker the one that i uh posted oh wait you guys already know the answer to that the one that i posted online do you guys know that one which is Napoleon uh, was attacked by bunnies versus John Wilkes Booth was uh his execution was botched. Do you guys uh Oh You don't know the real answer to
1: that? I didn't look at the answer to that.
2: Andrew, did I tell you the real answer to that?
3: No. no All you right, did not. then
2: that's the tiebreaker. Number option okay. one, Napoleon was attacked by bunnies at one point
3: versus
2: um John Wilkes Booth's execution was botched. Um, Andrew, you were in the lead longer, so you can go first. Uh, uh, John Wilkes Booth.
1: All right, I was going to go with Napoleon, so I guess this will be a pure one, pure... Uh... All
2: right, good good choice. Ryan, you're the big winner with two points. Oh, wow. Uh, it's because Napoleon, uh, he was going to go hunting for bunnies, uh, for rabbits, and like all of his servants or whatever, like make sure there's plenty of rabbits. So they went out and bought... like thousands of tame rabbits <laughs> and put them in cages. And when Napoleon came strutting out into the field, since they were tame, they thought it was time for feeding. So they all ran to him excited to get some lettuce because they were probably really hungry. They hadn't been fed in a long time or something. So they were <laughs> jumping all over him and stuff. Um, and they thought that he was being attacked. Um, and I mean, this, this is probably something that, that Tom would throw a flag on, but um, John Wilkes Booth was, was not executed. He was, killed um by the the people that were hunting him
3: yeah i was thinking of the barn fire too but again it's a lot of these that kind of things are just semantics but you know sometimes you just have to be an adult and let it go (laughs) (laughs) beautiful absolutely beautiful i
2: stopped listening i I, just enjoy the game i no longer care about anybody just enjoy the game
3: (laughs) i'm having a great time weird history (laughs)
2: I think okay, and, uh, occasionally we'll put some of these weird history pictures up there, and hopefully, you people will engage with it and write comments on it, and then it appears whoa, on whoa, your whoa. feed. You, then people, then you people? What do you mean, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> <People>. <laughs> I mean, all of the beautiful <laughs> fans. Yes. Now that we've covered chatter, it's time for lore. This episode, we have one story to share. It's from me. I wrote this story ahead of time. The only criteria we gave ourselves for these stories was that they be set in the Bruff universe during a time that is not inside the immediate storyline. Here I go. As Joshua lay, dirty and ravenous, in the tiny shack that served his freight office and apartment for Smitty and him, he couldn't help but remember an earlier time in his life when he also lay dirty and ravenous only at that time he was outdoors and cold and wet as well. In those days he had been living under a broken piece of a wooden crate. His mother and siblings had been captured and taken away over a week prior, and Joshua, having never learned to fend for himself, merely lay starving and shivering under the broken board, waiting for death. But it wasn't death that came to find him. It was the rough, calloused hand of a middle-aged, lonely, warm-eyed sailor, who scooped Joshua up in his arms and brought him to his shack. He had immediately stoked a fire and nursed Joshua back to health, saying,
3: I'll never leave
2: you, I'll... Joshua didn't like to think about that memory anymore, and certainly not now, with the task at hand. Joshua sniffed himself. He did stink, but was he stinky enough? He thought so, but he could never tell for sure. Humans seemed to find all kinds of delightful smells revolting, but he had difficulty remembering which ones. He had rolled in a garbage bin, taking particular care to get to the bottom and work the juice into his fur. He had found a few dead fish close to the docks, and though his mouth was watering with hunger, had exercised remarkable restraint and only rolled in them instead of eating them. Bits of scale and rotted fish eyes clung to his hide. And of course, he rolled in his own poop. He worked the poop so thoroughly into his fur that it coated him in thick, viscous swaths, giving him the appearance of some sort of striped dock rat. He sniffed again, rank and ripe and bracing. But enough? He had to be sure. Joshua quickly leapt to the windowsill and peered out. The ship had returned. Damn it! Was it time already? Smitty would return at any moment. This would have to be quick. Joshua darted to the hatch Smitty had crudely carved for him in the back door. So you can come and go as you please, my little friend. That's what Smitty had said when he first built the tiny door. This is your home now, my little man. Joshua shook the memory from his head with a jingling spasm. He, thought, he hadn't thought of these memories in years. Why did they have to come roaring back now? The first few months with Smitty had been bliss, warm, cozy, cared for, wanted, until... Joshua snorted and barreled through the doggy door. How long had he been daydreaming? He would need to go faster now. He would need to go faster than ever now. He bounded down the alley. He knew a butcher shop around the corner. At this time of day, there was bound to be the sinewy remains of some beast strewn about the stoop behind the shop. Smell or no smell, he knew one thing for sure. Smitty could not abide blood. As he rounded the corner, another smell smacked into his nostrils. Caroline. Joshua, what are you doing? It was her. I thought today was the day, she said. Shouldn't you be in the shack? Although she was clearly distressed, she looked as beautiful as always her auburn tendrils of hair cascading cascading around her hot perky ears her nose like a dark almost black cherry slightly wet and was it his imagination or was it growing wetter as he approached her he stole a quick glance at the muscled shank of her leg and followed its sweet angular curve up to her hindquarters and fully exposed dog vagina <laughs> <laughs> oh god He never fully understood why humans covered their private parts, but dogs left them out in the open for all to see. However, in that moment, he didn't care why. He just licked his lips and said a silent, Thank you. Thank me? Thank me for what? Joshua had forgotten for a second that dogs communicate non-verbally and telepathically. He quickly de-guttered his mind and corrected himself. I mean, I'm sorry. I was just uh, trying to make sure I'm stinky enough for a bath. I... Trust me, Josh, you're stinky enough. He loved it when she called him Josh. It made him feel like a big dog and not a tiny dog, which is what he was. It amazed him that Caroline ever allowed him to mate with her in the first place. She was a much bigger dog and could have had all the big, thick, juicy, big dog schlong that she wanted, but instead (laughs) settled for him and his olive picker. Something to do with love, she had said once. Joshua called it luck. Once again feeling amorous, he allowed himself to admire her glossy fur and lithe, shapely ear when. Ah, oh shit. He allowed himself to admire her glossy fur and lithe, shapely rear when he noticed for the first time the evidence of the litter she claimed was awaiting them. Wow, you. you really are. Did you doubt me? No, I just. it seems so real now. All oh, the more reason for you to get back to the shack. Right, I am. I just. You're not getting cold feet, are you? After what he did? Well, he hasn't actually done it yet. He will, Josh, he will. This last journey was his longest one ever. It's bound to happen tonight, unless you stop him. Joshua looked at the ground. I'm sorry you have to do this, Josh, I really am, but how will we live if that man's going to use you like a living sock puppet? How will you look your pups in the eye? I won't share you with him. Now, I've helped you all that I can. We've been preparing for months, it's time to follow through. Joshua looked up from the ground and into Caroline's hot-ass dog eyes, and knew she was right. He gave her nose a lick and her ears a playful nip, then bounded back down the alley and through the doggy door. It was still empty. There was still time. He ran to the kitchen table to make sure the note was still there. He hoped it said what he thought it did. Otherwise, months of hunger would be for nothing. Smitty's neighbor, Mrs. Merriweather, who incidentally was Caroline's owner, had written the note. It had been Caroline's plan to trick Mrs. Merriweather while she looked after Joshua in Smitty's absence. Joshua hoped it had worked. His eyes fell upon the tiny shoebox that had been his first bed. Smitty had filled it it with down from his own pillow and ripped pieces of the sheets from his own bed. He had sat it near the fire and cradled it in his arms while Joshua slept, warm, dry, and with a full belly for the first time in his life. Joshua had since outgrown the tiny cradle, but Smitty kept it on the mantle, and Joshua caught Smitty eyeing it wistfully from time to time. At that very moment, Joshua heard Smitty stomping towards the entrance. "'Where's my big little man?' With those words, all tender thoughts fled from Joshua's mind. Instead, the shame, the humiliation, the pain returned like a stinking high tide on an August's day." For the past year, every time Smitty returned, he got closer to committing the unspeakable violation. Two months ago, it was a lascivious kiss, lasting what felt like years before Smitty teared up and went sobbing to the washroom. Last month... Last... (laughs) Last month, it had been a bath a long, slow, tender bath that lasted all night Smitty held and touched Joshua (laughs) shit Smitty held and touched Joshua in ways he never had (laughs) Smitty held and touched Joshua in ways he never had before his intentions were as clear as the smile on his lips and the gleam in his eyes whatever had caused him to cry at the previous encounter was now vanished Smitty was at peace with his desires and that was the scariest thing of all Joshua didn't know what had stopped Smitty from completing his canine carnalization during that unending bath, but he didn't want to find out this time. Smitty flung open the door and tossed his small traveling bag to the floor. Where is he? Where is he? Joshua played none of the hiding game he normally did. Instead, he took a breath and twinkled directly out to meet his master. There is him! There's my big little man! Smitty scooped (laughs) Joshua up in his arms and began to plant kisses on his fur, but abruptly stopped. Oh no, my man's a stinky man. My man needs him a bathy-wathy. The first part of the plan had worked. Smitty eyed the note on the table. What's this? Joshua braced himself, too scared to breathe. See what this notey wody from Mrs. Merriweather says. Was you a good boy for Mrs. Merriweather, was you? Let's see. Dear Smitty, Joshua was, was a good boy but wouldn't eat for me. I tried everything. Finally, I got him to eat when I used my new electric toaster to toast his biscuits for him. He loves them and wouldn't eat anything else. In case you have the same trouble, I lent you my toaster. It is in the cabinet. Electric toaster? What's that? Smitty opened the cabinet and pulled out the strange newfangled device. This here toasts biscuits, huh? Joshua turned on the charm. He jumped and yipped and sniffed at the toaster in Smitty's arms. Ah, oh, if this is what him wants, well, him's going to have the toastiest, worstiest biscuits him ever did want. But first, the bath. Smitty drew a bath quickly, heating the water on his coal stove in a massive kettle. He filled the tub to the brim, removed his clothes, and settled into the steaming water with a sigh. Come join us, Mr. Joshua. Joshua held his ground. He yipped at the toaster, still lying dormant on the kitchen table. Oh, all right, Mr. Joshua, I know you're hungry. Smitty rose from the bath, and as he approached the table, Joshua saw the mood was already upon him. Fully, <laughs> throbbingly upon him. Joshua waited until Smitty plugged in the toaster, put it on the kitchen table, and placed the biscuits on the tray under the single red-hot coil. Then he dashed past Smitty and leapt into the bath. Well, someone can't make up his mind today, can Hymns? smitty again lowered himself into the bath and reached for joshua the little dog zipped away slipping through smitty's fingers just before they could close around him he popped out of the bath and landed directly on the kitchen table next to the toaster come back to us mr joshua him needs his bathy wathy joshua wouldn't budge don't be coy my little man joshua saw the gleam return to smitty's eyes and he knew there was no turning back not for uh, not for smitty and not for him Joshua turned around and playfully tilted his tiny rump into the air. From behind him he heard his master gulp and shudder. The big man was rendered speechless for the first time Joshua could remember. Then, with a tone he had never used to speak to Joshua before, Smitty said, "Come here." Joshua didn't move. He only wiggled his furry <laughs> He only wiggled his furry bottom ever so slightly. Smitty croaked again. Come here. But Joshua only growled saucily and wiggled again. Smitty, <laughs> now unable to control himself, reached out and grasped for Joshua. He couldn't reach. Instead, his hand found the edge of the kitchen table. He grabbed on and pulled it towards him, dragging it across the floor. Finally, the edge of the table struck the edge of the bath. Smitty sighed with delight, stood up in the tub, and lunged for Joshua. With his back still turned, Joshua skittered around his master's grasping arms, planted his front paws on the table, and kicked, horse-like, his back feet, with all his might at the electric toaster. It flew exactly one foot high and one foot far, but that was enough. It landed with a plop in the tub, and the single, red-hot coil immediately sent waves of electricity coursing through the naked dog-diddler. Smitty screamed and wildly flung his arms at the nearby mantle, attempting to find some mooring for his flailing limbs. Instead, his hands found the tiny shoebox that had once held his beloved pup, and he clutched it to his smoking chest as the life drained from his body and he sank to the bottom of the tub. Joshua watched his master descend and waited for the bubbles to stop rising. As Smitty's hand floated lazily through to the surface, still clutching the tiny shoebox, Joshua remembered the first time uh, remembered when he first saw that hand, pulling him from the debris and the cold and the hunger, and he was glad, at least, that he was able to give his master a bloodless death, for he knew Smitty could not abide blood. Joshua hopped off the table and headed for the doggy door. Caroline was sure Mrs. Merriweather would be willing to take him in. He had no reason to doubt her. She had been right about everything else. As he started to push his head through the little swinging flap, he noticed a nicely toasted biscuit on the floor. He knew that from that moment forward, any time he saw a toasted biscuit, his mind would return to that horrible night, and the death stench of the man that had once been his savior. Then his friend. Then his abuser. Joshua ate the biscuit anyway. He was just a fucking dog, after all. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Alright, that's it. Because
0: now we can add the, the to the mix of... Uh...
3: I'm really glad that this podcast has an uh, an explicit lyric warning on it, be- <laughs> because that was some ex- that was some sure. explicit shit. Man, that's, some, that's some black market uh, tales. That you're god! Right there, <laughs> Joshua
1: well, uh, knew exactly uh, what to do to turn that man on. Knew exactly.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: right uh thank you all for joining us for rude alchemy chatter and lore Brough tax Wind sky sailor returns for episode three in just one week on sunday may 3rd please be sure to like us on facebook and follow us on twitter and please ask us some questions using those platforms we would love to hear from you and there's a very good chance we will answer your question on chatter and lore uh don't forget to enter the cover art contest and play weird history on facebook and as always please rate review and subscribe on itunes or stitcher thanks again
1: Thank you, Thank everybody. You. Thank you. you we know, love you. <laughs>
2: Alchemy is Mr. Thomas Hodgkin, Mr. Andrew Kane, Mr. Andy Wurtner, and Mr. Ryan Whalen. This episode's story written by Mr. Wurtner. Episode edited by Mr. Kane. Intro and outro music by Old Town Wake. All other music composed by Mr. Benjamin J. Robb. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.
1: not understand advertising do you get your merchandise today with the official cowlet design created by jeff music buying lots of them would bring music to my
0: ears oh stop